This is Story Story Late Night, the positively shameless black sheep of the Story Story Night family, where you hear bleep-worthy stories on an unblushing theme. I'm artistic director Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, we went down the rabbit hole. During the slam, things got curiouser and curiouser, as guest host Emma Arnold randomly drew names from the Mad Hatter's hat during a madcap spill-the-tea party of five-minute stories. Recorded live at the Visual Arts Collective, Garden City, Idaho. Follow the White Rabbit. It's story time. Steve Bush. Come on down, Steve. Steve, 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 Steve. Yes. Making his way. Is that okay with my computer? Yeah, that's great. Well, I don't know if this is going to be uh, a story where I thought I fell down the rabbit hole or maybe I wanted to find one at the end, you know. To get out of something. But anyways, this was uh, back when I was a teenager, and uh, there were three of us, and we used to camp out. This was in the suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. All right. And uh, camping out was not really camping out. It was we'd put a tent up in our backyard, and uh, we'd mainly camp out so we could raise hell all, all night, you know. And so there were three of us. One was named Poofy, and Poofy got his name that night, actually, because we kind of kidded him about poofing people, you know what I mean? And, uh, and when the radio turned on the radio in the morning, the Whiff and Poof song came on, and from that day on, he was known as Poofy. And then, then we had Wayne, who was a, uh, quite an extrovert, and he used to like to get naked all the time. <laughs> and so... We're sitting in our tent, what are we gonna to do tonight? And we knew that uh, Jane, Jeannie and Janie Barton lived down the street, they were twin girls in our class, and they had a swimming pool. We said, well, let's go swimming at Janie and, Jean, uh, Jeannie and Janie's house. I said, okay. Now, of course, Wayne wanted to go naked, <laughs> but we were a little conservative, and so we decided to go in our tidy whitey underwear. So, we're walking down the street, and it's about a half-mile walk, and it's like a little two-lane highway, almost like a country road. And we're going down the road, and every once in a while, a car would come along. Now, when a car came along, Poofy and I would run, run and hide behind a house, and Wayne would stand out in the middle of the street and go. <laughs> and, uh, and then at the last minute, he would run away. Now, he did that two or three times and on the way down there. And then we finally got to... Uh, Jeannie and Janie's house, and we uh, snuck into the swimming pool. Now, we climbed in over the fence. They had a chain link fence all around it, and we climbed into it, and I said, now, we've got to be really quiet, and we've got to sneak into the pool and just dog paddle around, you know. And uh, so Jim, Poofy and I were in the pool, and we're dog paddling around, and where's Wayne? <laughs> and all of a sudden, bang, yippee, and splash. <laughs> And every light in the house came on in two nanoseconds. And we, we had taken off our undies at that point, you know, before we went in. And so we're stark naked. And we decided to, we, well, we had to leave. So we grabbed our undies and jumped over the fence. And we had to be a little careful because, you know, chain link fences and guys' anatomy and stuff. And so um, we got over the fence okay, and we're running a across the grass like this. Now, I don't know if you've ever had the, the 
uh, benefit of listening to three guys, three young guys, or young men who were pretty well endowed, <laughs> running across the grass on a still, quiet night. You don't hear their footsteps. All you hear is a gentle slap, slap, slapping <laughs> of parts of their anatomy slapping on their legs. So then, <laughs> so then we got to a safe spot, we put on our undies, and we get back to the road. And we're walking back to the road, back to my house, and a car starts coming along. And Wayne, of course, gets out in the middle street. Old Poofy runs behind a house, first of all. And I decided I don't want to run behind a house, so I, I just figured the car's just going to drive by. So I found a little bush about this big. And I got down like this and hid behind the bush. <laughs> and so Wayne, in the meantime, was out in the middle of the street, you know, and uh, ran away at the last minute. Well, the car went by the house where I, this bush was right next to the driveway of this house. And uh, the car went by the house, stopped, and backed up. And it backed up and then pulled into the driveway. <laughs> and then I hear the door open. And I hear footsteps. And it's coming towards me in the bush. And it's coming this way. and walking around the bush, and I'm crawling around the bush in my underwear, trying to hide from whoever this was. And then I hear a voice saying, Steve, what are you doing? <laughs> and at that point, I wish I had a rabbit hole to go down. Bert Allen, come to the stage. Bert, 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 yeah! Give it some squeaks, give it some squeaks! Bring Bert up! Well, um, my rabbit hole, or this rabbit hole, was about uh, a number of years ago where, for some strange reason, I decided I was going to make money raising fish. Tropical freshwater fish. So I was like, okay, started doing some reading, picked cichlids because they're smart fish for fish, you know. Fish are only about so smart, but they're, they're fairly smart for fish. And it's, I got really into it because the, the process for these fish was so involved. You know, first of all, they're, uh, they're discus. I don't know if there's any fish people in here, but uh, discus fish uh, are from the Amazon, um, the, the Amazon River. And uh, they look like angelfish, except that they're round like saucers. And they're metallic green and blue and stuff instead of black and white. So they look really cool. Um, but they're, they're substrate spawners. <laughs> substrate spawners, which means they, they lay their eggs on vertical surfaces or, you know, rocks or whatnot. But, you know, because of the habitat, they do vertical surfaces. So, so okay. I'm, I'm doing my thing. I'm, I'm giving them all the good conditions here. And then, so then it starts happening. So here they go. They, they 
put all these eggs on the side of the thing. I'm like, okay, that's, that's cool. That's working. That's doing its thing. And then they sit there for a couple days and they change color a little bit. And then one day I get up in the morning and then one of the fish starts walking over to the eggs and is going. And I'm like, oh my God, he's eating his eggs. No, stop, stop. But then he goes over to this other little spot and he starts going. And he spits them on there. And then I'm like, oh, okay, that's right. I read about that. When these babies are first born, they're, you know, they're not fully free swimming yet. And they've got like this little glue, glue exuding organ on the very top of their head. And so what he's doing is he's popping them out of their shells and he's going and sticking them on the wall. Okay, so that's cool. So here he goes. Pop, 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 pop. Here they all. And so, you know, eventually there's no more eggs. Eggs are all gone. Now there's this weird little cluster of like little micro grapes hanging off there, waving around. Like, okay, that's exciting. That's exciting. And so here, that's, that's how it is for a few days. Eggs. And then, you know, and every once in a while, you know, they'll, they're, cause they're wiggling around. They're doing, doing the little kid thing, you know, and you know, when that happens, the parents are all, Oh, I got this one. I got this one. Put them back. Okay. So about three days in, you know, they're getting to that point and they're maturing a little bit and they're almost, you know, about three days in. The little things seal up. So here's the parents. They're all, they're like, yeah, we've got this. This is good. This is working. And then they wake up that morning and, oh, here we go. They're, they're, they're escaping. Oh shit, it's happening again. It's like, Karen, they're not sticking anymore. <laughs> like you know and it's like and they're both trying to do it it's like and then they give up it's like okay fine and then the next phase happens this is pretty exciting because (laughs) because the 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 babies are like super super tiny um and the only thing that they can eat is these special slime sacks that grow on the parents. So here's the parents swimming along. Babies come over and you can see them doing it. It looks fairly nasty. It's like, neat. They're actually eating the slime off of the parents. And they're like, what are you doing to me? And they're like, crap, this is what we signed up for. Okay. So, but they trade off. And that's the funny part, because the babies will all be swimming around, doing their thing. And then finally, the one will go, I am sick of this shit. And will slowly swim over to the other one, and then go, and all the babies are like, where'd you go? Oh, look, let's go over to dad. Ha, <laughs> And do it again. And then, anyway. Fish breeding, and eventually they get over it, and then you've got little baby fish. But breeding fish, there you go. Bad, 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 yeah! Hello. 
So my, my rabbit hole story is, I believe, 1992 Olympia, Washington. I went to school at Evergreen State College. Uh, go Gooey Ducks. Uh, the graduating uh, theme the year I graduated was, do you want fries with that? Um, so anyway, my friend Scott Van Dusen had come to visit from uh, Eugene, Oregon. And we were out with a couple other friends of mine, Shannon and whatnot. We were drinking downtown. Uh, I think it was called the Smithfield Cafe. And at that point of my life, uh, I'd come out of graduated from Centennial High School. Was a bit of a sort of skate punk, Dungeons and Dragons geek, anti-jock kind of kid, sort of nerd. Uh, shot pictures of Sam Stempert with a mohawk back in the day. Um, anyway, uh, we were drinking, and I was. It was. It, it became what I, I wrote in my journal entry is the strangest night of my life to that point. And um, anyway, we're drinking at the bar, and there was this there was this really jock guy there, and we ended up having this really deep, beautiful conversation. And it's sort of like, wow, maybe you know, maybe stereotypes aren't really real. Um, so I had this sort of profound moment there, and the next thing I know, we were outside talking to some people, and my friend Shannon peeled off, and then I found out later he got held up at gunpoint by some crazy fucking dude. Olympia is sort of a strange town. If you've been to Olympia, Washington, it's a mixture of sort of granola crunching, uh, you know, a lot of lugs, lesbians until graduation, um, and, uh, and variety of other, and then lots of rednecks and loggers, and they would like nail uh, spotted owls to trees and things. It's a very strange town, um, but I loved it. But it was a very weird mixture, and when you were downtown and you were, you know, uh, ex-skate punk sort of loser, you're, you're likely to get yourself into some trouble. Um, so at some point, uh, my friend Scott, who was a professional drunk at the time, decided, let's climb on the roof. And I'm terrified of heights. I'm fucking terrified of heights. Uh, so anyway, we were climbing up an escape uh, ladder up onto the roof, and at some point... Uh, we get up to the second or third story of this, I think a four-story building, Olympia, and this guy pokes his head out, because we were making so much noise, he was a bunch of drunk, idiot, 21-year-olds, and he's like, hey, come on in, man, come on in. It was this long, he had, remember he had long, straight black hair, Native American guy, and we go into this apartment, and it's just, the, it's, it's out of some like Cronenberg movie, it's just like this completely empty apartment, there's a mattress in the corner with no, n no sheets or anything on it. Uh, sort of depressing, an old black and white TV with like aluminum foil on it, and he gets us really, we start smoking weed with this guy, and at first it's just like this really great experience, and then he starts talking about Vietnam, uh, and, uh, and it's like my friend Scott, we're so riveted this story, and he's like talking about going into the jungles and having to slaughter people, and just like, and then my friend Scott just starts crying, tears are running down his eyes, this guy's telling us this very powerful emotional story of being basically you know, PTSD and trauma of being in Vietnam, and, and I was so high, I had no idea whether this was real or not at this point. Um, and my friend Scott's just, just tears streaming down his eyes, and I looked at him, he said, I gotta I got get out of here, man, I gotta get out of here. So we, you know, there's somebody else there with us, and there's three of us. So we get back on the fire escape, and we climb up onto the roof of this building, downtown Olympia, Washington, 1992, I think it was, uh, and Scott's like, I know, let's jump across the gap between these buildings. And uh, it's like eight feet, and it's, you know, four stories down, and so Scott's running drunk, and he's, you know, and he leaps, literally leaps, like, out of the fucking Matrix, and I'm just terrified that my friend Scott's going to be dead. This is, like, the 15th time uh, in our life that I've had this experience where Scott is not dead. Uh, he lives in Tokyo now, has twins and uh, three kids. Um, he's, he's still very much alive. Um, but anyway, so he's leaping across these gaps, and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? And this is crazy. This kid, this night get any crazier. And then he runs, and he jumps back across again, and he's laughing. And it's just like, and I'm just terrified because I'm just like anxiety central. Like, what the fuck is going on here? And we climb back down, um, 
and uh, there was something else crazy that happened that night. Anyway, it's like, let's walk back home. So we, we lived up on, I lived on 332 Division Street in Olympia, uh, which if anyone knows Olympia is up on the hill before you uh, drive to the college. And so we're walking back down the road and Scott's drunk and, and this, this like Mustang, this muscle car drives by and, uh, and, and this guy's like, fuck you, douchebags. And, and Scott's like, Woo! like that. And, and the guy like, ah! and pulls the car over and this huge fucking dude with like muscles and he's like clearly methed out on something, just aggro dude, grips out with like a piece of plywood or a, 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 like a board, some sort of board and just comes like, comes like right front and, and Scott who's been in many situations like this before knows exactly what to do get out of swing range of the bat and me being the dumbass that I was just stood there and terrified within like three feet of this guy who's just like clearly wants to kill us and I just stood there and he's like what the fuck did you just say to me he's like dude I was just like blah, blah, blah. he's so drunk and then Scott in, in his genius switches into hippie mode is like yeah man it's your karma if you want to kill us dude if you're gonna kill us, it's gonna be on your karma, dude. You really wanna do that, man? And, and then Scott started sort of nudging, like, get the fuck away from this guy. And I'm just like, and the guy's like, he's like, how about you just let us go, we'll be fine. And so the guy was like, what? And he's just a little confused by this whole situation. You could tell, he's like, what the hell's going on? I was like, you guys better run, run. And so we run and we hide behind a dumpster and we sit there and I'm you know, terrified and Scott's like laughing, thinking this whole thing is amusing the whole time. And uh, uh, so we hide behind the dumpster for what felt like an eternity. The car drives away and, uh, and then we ended up walking back up the hill over the, over the, the bridge and you'd walk up the hill to the to division where I lived and uh, it was a full moon that night, I remember very vividly. And we ended up sitting down in the middle of the street, sort of like in full lotus position. And he's like, let's meditate. And so we, we sat there and we meditated and we looked at the moon and we held each other's hand and, and we sort of we just wept for joy that number one, we were alive. Uh, and number two, just what a strange fucking evening it had been. So anyway, that's, uh, that's my rabbit hole story. Thank you. Jess S. Jess S, Jess S, come to the stage, yes, yeah. So um, the first thing you should know is that I put my name in for everything. Contests, <laughs> raffles, whatever. But this is winning. <laughs> so here we go. Um, the second thing you should know about me is I have a terrible memory. Um, but there are some things in life that you just remember crystal clearly. And this is one of those moments in my life. Um, so we talked about Zoloft earlier, and it turns out that there are other and more natural ways to get a Zoloft effect, um, sleep deprivation being one of them. And I travel a lot. One of the things that I do is I travel internationally for work, and I did that very frequently for a very long time. And I have a wonderful ex-husband who would keep the kids three or four extra days after I arrived home from wherever in the world I was being at that time. So that way I could rest and get some jet lag relief and you know, kind of acclimate back into my normal life here in the US. And one night I am laying in bed and we're gonna say this is in like Colorado or you know, Washington where weed is legal. Um, that's where I'm at in the story. And I'm fairly high to get to sleep after all this jet lag and um, I hear, I'm, I'm asleep, I'm, I, what I feel like is dead asleep in the middle of the night, and I hear these footsteps. But they don't feel like footsteps, they feel like, like boot steps, 
like clomping through my house in the middle of the fucking night. And I'm like, oh my God, somebody's in my house. And, and I don't know what to do. And by this time, I'm certainly down in the sleep deprivation, ambient weed rabbit hole. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I'm freaking out. So what I decide to do is I'm going to call the police, but I really don't want the intruder to see the light on my phone. <laughs> so I sit up in my bed and I put the comforter over it. I'm sitting straight up in my fucking bed. <laughs> and it's like a toddler, like an object permanence. Like they can't see me, so I can't, I can't see them, so they can't see me. And um, so I'm dialing 911 and I'm talking to them and it's like really soft you know, when they're asking me all these questions, I'm like, I live at whatever fucking address I lived at at that time. And um, yet there's somebody in my house and they ask you all these questions and they ask the same questions in like 10 different ways to see if you'll get the same answer. And they kept asking in nine different ways, like, do you live alone? And I'm like, yes, I live alone. And I'm thinking, I live alone. And um, they, uh, they're asking, you know, is the back door locked? Is the front door locked? Is, does anybody have keys? I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I really live here by myself. And they're asking all these questions and I'm, I'm really scared and I'm like shaking and everything is going crazy and I don't know what to think anymore. And in, in some way they ask me again, do you live alone? And then it clicked, I have three children. <laughs> and I'm like, um, uh, can you hold on for one second? <laughs> and so I think to myself, I think, I think my children came home tonight. And I walk into their bedroom and my, I don't know, seven-year-old son at the time, I can't remember. I don't have like the, the whoever the woman was with just with all the fucking numbers, amazing. Uh, I don't have that talent. <laughs> so I don't know what year it was. I don't know how old my child was. All I remember is that he was sitting straight up in bed and he was like, hi mom. And I'm like, hi, so um, uh, I I'm good. <laughs> hey, hey kid, did you just go to the bathroom? And he's like, yeah mom. <laughs> So, um, could you not send CPS, please? <laughs> we end the call, and luckily CPS doesn't show up, and um, I come out of the rabbit hole the next morning. Dan C. And Jody's gonna take it away with our story slammer of shame. It's about midnight, and my girlfriend at the time and I uh, have been making out for a good hour or so, and I'm uh, borrowing the car from the parents uh, who are in uh, clear across the country visiting relatives. And they don't know that I'm out at a, oh, by ears. They don't know that I'm out at a dance with my girlfriend. They have no clue. I'm borrowing the car, which I was expressly told not to do. And I'm driving home from my girlfriend's house and all I can think of is big wet kisses and boobs and I start to drift asleep. I catch myself, I'm thinking I'm okay and then Dreamweaver comes on the car radio. And I've got the heater on and the windows are up because it's cold and I'm just getting sleepier and sleepier. And the last thing I remember 
is driving down the right lane of a recently renovated Overland Road heading west. What woke me up was drifting across the five lanes and hitting the sidewalk on the left side of Overland Road. And I had just enough time to say, oh fuck, as the front left headlight of my 1971 Ford Pinto slams into a telephone pole. Luckily, it wasn't in reverse, because you know that means it would have blown up. But, so the Pinto hits this, this telephone pole so hard that it breaks the pole off at the ground. And this car causes the car to kind of buckle, which means that the, f the driver's side door falls out. The front left tire pops going over the stump of this telephone pole. And the whole car jumps back out onto the road and starts sliding sideways. With the tire flat and the door open, the corner of the door is sliding along the asphalt, spraying sparks out into the night sky, twice as high as the car. And the car is still sliding. I'm hearing the screech of the tires. I'm hearing, I'm hearing the, uh, the, the, the whine of the horn. Uh, I finally realize that the car has stopped. That noise is no longer going. The horn is finally stopped because I lift my head and chest off of the steering wheel. And then I'm wondering what that noise is. And then I finally run out of breath. And I realize that I've been screaming at the top of my lungs that whole time as the car was sliding. Now comes the part that gets really strange because I don't know if I'm hurt or not. I get out of the car. I kind of do an inventory of all my parts. I'm like, did I break anything? Did I saw anything off? Did I lose anything? I, I, I look back. I look back at the telephone pole that I hit, which is now bouncing and hanging over Overland Road from the wires. But here's the part that gets really freaky. I start walking. This is 1, 1.30 in the night now. The only place that's possibly open is a gas station down at the corner of Five Mile and Overland Road. So I start walking, and I see a limousine coming straight at me from West Overland Road. And just as I'm crossing the road in front of it, it turns and goes south, and the window rolls down, and a large man in the back seat with a cigar looks out, almost like the car is in slow motion, looks out and blows a big billow of smoke out the back window. I finally cross the street, and I head toward the gas station where I go in, and I explain to the gas attendant that uh, 
I've just crashed my car. It's out in the middle of the road. I can't move it. We need to get the police here. I'm okay. I don't need an ambulance, but we need the police. We need a tow truck. We need something to get the road. He is so calm. Like he didn't hear a word I said and said, sure, man, I'll make a phone call. I'm not sure if he's even really understood what I've said, but I start moving toward the bathroom, which is where I see two men sitting in a booth. And I see them uh, just quietly talking. And for some reason, I can actually see the steam coming up from this person's cup of coffee. He has it wrapped in his hands, and he's kind of hunkered over it. And I can see the steam rising up. And as I look more closely at him while I'm walking by, I see a trickle of blood running down from his ear, down the side of his neck. I go to the bathroom. I wash the blood off of my forehead. Uh, I, I kind of check my nerves. I'm starting to shake a little bit at this point. I come back out. I start talking to the police who have finally arrived. I explain to them what happened. And they said, Man, that's crazy, because we just had another accident. And that's them right there. It was coming the other way, and uh, he was lucky he didn't have his seatbelt on. I said, well, that's kind of funny, because I was in a car that only had a seatbelt, but no shoulder belt. And I think if I would have had the shoulder belt, it would have ripped the car floor, because of the way it would have twisted my body, and I probably would have gone uh, gotten harpooned by the steering column. And they said, you're right, we looked at the car and we were surprised that no one was, was hurt more. But uh, in this other accident, when he hit the canal railing, he was thrown from the car and then the car started to slide and it broke the railing loose and that sawed the top of the car off. And if he would have had a seat belt or a lap belt even, he would probably have been decapitated. <laughs> From there, the rest of the night was me sitting on a curb wishing that I could talk to my parents, uh, but dreading that phone call. Uh, but the, the, just the, the, the replay of the whole night was was this such a such a bizarre set of circumstances after the crash? Uh, it was it was kind of like that the crash itself sent me down some sort of rabbit hole of surreality, and that's my story. Thanks for listening, and thank you to our season sponsor, Over 19 Adult Shop, and the Down the Rabbit Hole show sponsor, Idaho Candle Company. The Story Story Late Night theme song is by Ned Evett, with podcast production by Stephen Baldessari, featuring live music from Wend. Support this storied program, find upcoming shows, and stay tuned at www.storystorynight.org or on SoundCloud, Facebook, and YouTube at Story Story Night. You can submit to be a featured storyteller by writing story at storystorynight.org.